everyone, and welcome once again to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. As always, I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of this city and region. I'd also like to acknowledge any First Nations people who may be listening to today's podcast. The new federal government has made the performance of the Australian Public Service a priority, and nowhere will that focus shine more brightly than in the capacity of public servants to acquire and manage data and to effectively identify and adopt new digital technology. My guests today on Work With Purpose are two people with responsibility to deliver on those improvements, and I'm looking forward to understanding how they define both the problems and opportunities and what they need from Australian public servants and the wider community to help them succeed. Gail Milnes was appointed National Data Commissioner in April 2022. She began her public service career as a graduate with the RBA after studying economics at the University of Melbourne. And she's held several senior leadership positions across the APS, including as CEO of the Climate Change Authority. Before joining the office of the National Data Commissioner, Gail led the data analytics and policy division at the Department of Infrastructure, Transport, Regional Development and Communications. She joins me in the studio. Gail, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thanks so much, David. Chris Fechner is the Chief Executive Officer of the Digital Transformation Agency, which has responsibility for delivering the federal government's digital transformation agenda. Chris has extensive experience in state government service delivery, particularly with large-scale digital and ICT reform and transformation programs, as well as implementing best practice investment, contestability and governance frameworks. Before joining the Australian Public Service, Chris was the Queensland Government's Chief Customer and Digital Officer, and prior to that held a number of senior positions in the New South Wales and Queensland governments. Chris, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thanks, David. Happy to be here. Gail, if I might start with you as the National Data Commissioner, what are the biggest challenges that you have on your plate at the moment, given the high expectations there are around the better management and use of data and the benefits that that will deliver to the Australian community? Okay, so I think uh, the Act is uh, recently... Uh, commenced. So the Data Availability and Transparency Act commenced in April and it establishes a new best practice scheme for sharing Australian government data. And the scheme is underpinned by strong safeguards and simplified efficient processes. Uh, the name of the Act, from the name of the Act, you get data. So the team did a great job with the acronym there. So we call it the data scheme. So our big challenge is standing up that data scheme. And uh, increasing and in doing so increasing the use the availability and the use of Australian government data and it's all about increasing the use and availability of Australian government data for three purposes the first purpose is better government services the second goes to better government policies and programs and the third is about uh, world-leading research and development. So that's our focus at the moment, standing up the scheme. And so what is the actual work that is being done to, to stand up the scheme? 
Yeah, so, well, the scheme's now open for business. So uh, on the 1st of June, Australian government agencies and state and territory government agencies could apply to be data users under the scheme. Uh, they'd be uh, our role, my role, and the role of my office is to accredit them as data users in the scheme, and that means that they're they're safe to play in the scheme. They've got the right uh, skills and capability, uh, the right uh, management and government arrangements. So once they've been accredited, then they are able to make requests for data from Australian government agencies. So getting those entities. Uh, accredited and in the scheme uh, is the starting point for getting it up and running. The 1st of August is also another really important date for us. That's the day when Australian universities can apply to be accredited data service providers and also to be accredited data users. Now, data service providers, uh, they are... They're people that are expert in data integration, de-identification and secure data services. And it's not just universities that can apply to be accredited data, data service providers. There's also Australian government agencies and state and territory uh, government agencies that can apply to be data service providers. And to give you an example, that would be an organisation like the Australian Bureau of Statistics that's really expert in handling data. So that's another big date for us. The, what we've been doing uh, in anticipation of those dates is a lot of work building understanding about the scheme from scheme participants and getting them ready to participate in the scheme. The, we've also been working on two really important tools. A part of my role and that of the office is to educate scheme participants about best practice data sharing and handling and to provide them with guidance and tools to do that. And one of those is what we call Data Place. That's, it's a platform for government agencies and universities and others to manage their data requests, not to exchange the data. The exchange of the data more takes place through those expert data service providers but the, the role of DataPlace is to help people manage their requests. And uh, we think that, that that system will also provide people with uh, greater assurance and greater understanding about what they're sharing. And we'll also use that uh, platform to administer the scheme. And we expect that there will be a strong efficiencies from the use of DataPlace. That's the first thing. The second thing we're doing is what we call our data discovery initiative. And this is supporting uh, this is supporting Australian government agencies to develop their data inventories. I think the starting point for good uh, data asset management is knowing what your assets are. And the inventories help the agencies document what their assets are. That also means that users, people that want to access the data, know what data is available. And that's the second step. We're building what's called an Australian Government Data Catalogue, where data users can interrogate what data is available, interrogate those inventories to find out what data is available and what data they might request. So there's some of our key areas at the moment. So when might we the benefits start to, to, to be seen in terms of 
agencies, universities, others being able to utilise this data to make better decisions? I think it will take some time. Uh, the focus initially will be on getting people up and running in the scheme. and But I think over a year or two, uh, we can begin to see some of the benefits and they will go not just to being able to get ac greater access to the data, but being able to get that access more quickly and in a more efficient way and also doing that uh, according to best practice. So ensuring that all the privacy uh, protections are in place, uh, the ethics considerations are in place. Some of the public benefits might take a bit longer because these projects will often be quite complex and quite large scale and it takes some time also to identify your results. So we'll see those uh, public benefits, I think, over time. But I'm also hopeful we'll see, you know, there'll be some early deliverables and early wins for uh, scheme participants and others. Mm. I want to come back to some of that and really the participants and sort of the enthusiasm that there is for data um, across the public service. But Chris Fechner, if it's Gail's job to sort of manage the precious data asset, probably a big part of your job is managing the, the technology that generates the, the data uh, assets, among other things. Um, how are you working together um, collaboratively with the, uh, the data commissioner to, to deliver benefits? Gail and I have had uh, a number of conversations and we both very strongly believe that the digital and the data pieces are more or less hand in glove. And being able to work collaboratively together is, is one of our big keys. So Gail talks about the data availability and transparency bill that has those aspects of how do we understand what citizens and businesses need by understanding the data that government is capturing about them and sharing it so that we can then design better services or the way that we build policy positions around digital or even the way we do simple things like how we actually identify where we need services delivered in those particular places and how people will accept them. So uh, the aspects of understanding how technology both underpins the collection and management of data, but also how that technology then uses that data to provide better government, digital government services is, I think, the key part of our partnership. So this is a question really for, for you both about perhaps some of the lessons that organisations uh, can learn around sort of digital transformation. Are there things that people need to keep in mind, you know, after the changes that we've been through over the last couple of years where there has been considerable um, change in behaviour in the way that people engage with technology and understand data. Gail, to you first. Uh, what are the things people need to keep in mind? Uh, well, actually, what I'll go back to... I'll come to that in a minute, David, if that's OK, but I'll go back to your earlier question about how data and digital can work together, building off what Chris was saying. For me, a really tangible example of how the two are so integral and must work together is the COVID vaccination uh, status that you can get on your phone. So what that requires is sharing of sensitive personal data, not only across the Australian government, but also across different tiers of government, so with state and territory governments. So that that's the data sharing piece, but that it's not possible without the technology piece. You also need the technology to make it available. So I think that's a really good um, a good example. In terms of uh, the, the digital transformation and what people need to look out for, I think about I think about 
being a data-driven enterprise, if you like. You can think about the, I think the Thody Review talks about being a, a data-driven and digitally enabled government. So if you're thinking about a data-driven organisation, and to me that's one of the great opportunities of the data scheme, is that it sets us up to do more with our data and sets us up to be, I'd like to see us, you know, as a, as a an exemplar, a, a best-in-class user of our data. And the scheme gives us a lot of the tools to do that. Uh, the starting point, as I mentioned before, is knowing what your assets are. And that really is about your data inventory. And then I think another part of that is knowing how they're being used. I mentioned before data place and how that will give us a better window on how your data is being used. So you'll be able to see from that what data is being requested, what purpose it's being used for, who it's being requested for. And so getting a better sense of what people are looking for and what's being used will help us hone you know, what we collect and what we store and how we store and manage that. Uh, I think the other parts of it though, we're looking for entities to have their strategy in place, a data strategy uh, that should articulate governance and management arrangements around data. Another really important piece is around your expertise, so your skills uh, and capabilities, but also not just your people skills, but another really important piece of that is your IT and your digital capability. Uh, and particularly when it comes to storing and protecting your data, uh, protection against cyber and other risks, uh, that's a, the digital piece really plays a very important role in that. So I think there's some of the key foundations, knowing what you've got, your management and governance uh, arrangements, the your people capability and your digital capability. Mm. And for you, Chris, you know, what have you seen that, that you'd really encourage people to, to understand at a deeper level in order to achieve the change that really the DTA is, has a critical role in, in driving? So, David, I would, I would start with um, all digital government uh, all digital transformation is hard um, and it's especially hard for government when you think that governments are monopolies. Um, they, they have to deliver to every part of the country and every part of the population and, and to every business size. Uh, so they, uh, the talent that goes within the public sector often has a tendency to go to the private sector because the money's better in some cases and we get a special type of people that are doing digital inside of government. And I think probably another big uh, barrier to effective digital within government is in fact the fact that we have structures of government and they tend to create silos where um, citizens don't really understand those. So I think the opportunities exist in a lot of ways to drive digital by reimagining government and thinking about how we provide the right simple easy to access services to citizens but also how we reinvent the processes of government to, to make them more horizontally integrated rather than vertically so that we can really start to organise around what people and businesses need, not what government sets itself up to do. Mm. Interestingly, you, you've not been in the job quite 12 months and you've come from state government and, and a big focus on service delivery. What's that change been like? And what are those big differences between state and, and federal government in terms of the, the management of digital technologies? I, again, I think um, the scale goes much larger. So the Commonwealth, when I, when I say 
a million dollars in my old state job, it means $10 million in the Commonwealth. Uh, and uh, the aspects of understanding how that um, effort is put to use. Uh, and there's a lot of departments and there's a lot of broad functions that are sitting in there. Uh, and uh, trying to get consensus on a lot of things about how you do things is, is actually quite difficult. So uh, the big transitions that I suppose I've seen in the Commonwealth is, is that there is a need to really understand very broad policy positions around digital transformation, how you actually deliver those services. Because they actually are across um, the whole of the country, you have to take into, a, into consideration the differences between the states and territories. They're not all alike. Uh, and, and then the third one is, is that the states deliver a really significant part of digital services to citizens and businesses. And the Commonwealth often is a funding source for it, but it also does its own service delivery. So understanding how, how we can best provide services to citizens without confusing them about levels of government for digital, I think is one of those really big opportunities. But I see it's, it's harder for the Commonwealth because they really have got two positions. They're supporting the states to deliver those services and they're doing it themselves. Mm. So have you seen progress in the time that you've been involved, that there's an understanding of what some of these challenges are and there's a willingness to work to, to solve some of the problems? I sometimes think, David, that I've got a pretty unique position having sat on both sides of the fence yeah. in this scenario. And uh, I think the example that Gail used earlier on around, say, the COVID certificates was an excellent example. Um, you know, most of those certificates are displayed in state-based um, uh, state applications, uh, but they're all provided by the Commonwealth. And the collaboration that was needed in that particular space uh, around figuring out how we could exchange those documents and have them work effectively. Uh, and, and, and again, I think uh, Gail would like to talk about the fact that uh, we had so much data sharing that was driven between states and territories in the Commonwealth during that time. Uh, and without that sort of sharing and without that really significant change in the willingness to share, uh, we would never have been able to respond as well as we did to COVID. Well, there's an invitation, Gail, if I've heard one. Because <laughs> well, that sounds, you know, tell, tell us that story. It would be great to, to hear about yeah, that story. Yeah, well, I think that that has been, uh, you know, for uh, there's been a real silver lining around COVID, I think, and this is one of them. The, it really did accelerate that sharing of data uh, and the cooperation, I think, between the different tiers of government and particularly around health data. That was that was vital for us to be getting those uh, and for our citizens to be getting those readouts every day about the situation. And, and I think it was a real success. You know, Australians had very... Uh, robust, consistent, timely data uh, telling them about the situation and informing how they should act. Uh, you know, then they could make decisions about how they wanted to act. Also, uh, governments use that information to uh, work out what their policies and programs should be. So all that uh, data went to inform you know, job keeper, job seeker, went to inform our vaccination rollout as well. So I think that was a, a really good example. It set us up to see what's possible if we do cooperate and with these, you know, with the new legislation and and with the, the drive on the on digital technology front. And I've heard my colleagues too talk about the COVID situation compared with, say, the global financial crisis, where when 
they were our treasury colleagues, for example, looking at the global financial crisis, they would say it, it was like looking through fogged up glasses. You know, you had a very patchy picture of what was going on to inform what the government's response should be. Uh, that, that by comparison, uh, with COVID, uh, you would people would say, well, it was like we could see the data was so timely that we could see the road we were on, and we could even get a glimpse, uh, a better a better look at the road that we were going on. So I think that's um, you know that's a really good point of comparison, if you like. There's there's a gen, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier. There's a, a real enthusiasm for digital transformation and a real enthusiasm for data uh, in in the public sector in order to to deliver benefits. Um, I think a thousand plus attended the you know the graduate data forum you have the ABS and their multi-agency involvements you have the APS Academy looking to address some of those skills issues. How do you join this all up again to make sure that it's this enthusiasm is driven in a particular direction and doesn't start to sort of move off in, in different directions, Gal? Yeah. Well, again, I think that the uh, Data and Availability Transparency Act and the scheme help us to do yeah. that because they build a gives framework, the yeah. gives us the guardrails. And uh, the Act also talks about the building the institutional arrangements to share the data as well. And that's, I think, where the data inventories work and data place comes in. So that creates a real focus for everyone. And the fact, too, that state and territory governments are participants in the scheme, I think it's a real, um, a really good starting point for us. Or just, I shouldn't say starting point because we already, there's a tremendous cooperation that goes on across the Commonwealth and state and territory governments already, but it gives a further spur to that. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Another part of it, though, is a mindset, and, and that's, I think, a mindset that Chris and I have got around collaboration. And so we're really keen to build on uh, to have what the work we're doing in the digital and data space build on the many other data and digital initiatives going on across the Australian government or with state and territory governments. So, so for example, there's the consumer data right. I'm working closely with my Treasury colleagues on that to see how we can align that with the data scheme. There are things like cybersecurity too and the work that the Australian Cybersecurity Centre is doing. That's all very integral to our work and can really support the data scheme. Uh, there's also the intergovernmental agreement uh, on data sharing with state and territory governments and I see the data scheme as really uh, being able to back in or you know set up the arrangements that can support even more sharing with Australian government um, uh, between Australian government and state and territory governments. I would also just touch on what um, you were talking about before in your introductory comments David that there is a great appetite across the Australian government, and not just the Australian government, but with state and territory governments as well, which I think is really encouraging. I would say, though, that we build on really strong foundations. We've got big um, data sets like MADIP, which you were touching on, the multi-agency data integration uh, P program, project. Um, David Gruen says that it needs a new um, acronym and I agree with him. I think we need our marketing people on that one. Um, uh, so that is a, a big data set about people. Uh, so health data, for example, uh, immigration data, 
uh, and that you, education data is that you can draw on and interrogate. There's another data set called Blade, which is about um, data about businesses, uh, again, which is uh, people are able to interrogate and use. We're building another large data set called the National Disability Data Asset. That's a good name because you get a sense from the name about what it is. And there's another data set being built around vocational and education training as well. And again, these are big integrated data sets. And I think our ability to link those data sets up with the data that state and territory governments have, and then for us to be able to access that, uh, that's that's a really, that's the big opportunity here, I think. So we're already on our journey, and I think we've got uh, amazing institutions across the Commonwealth, organisations like the Bureau of Meteorology, Geoscience Australia, uh, I mentioned before the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. These people that are custodians of uh, some great data and they've got tremendous expertise and skills. It's about uh, strengthening that further. We can't stay still. Uh, we've got to keep up those capabilities, but also extending the, uh, those capabilities uh, further across our governments and with greater depth as well. Mm. And for you, Chris, the, in that digital transformation space, clearly an enormous amount of activity as sort of the, the leader, as the head of the Digital Transformation Agency, how are you sort of guiding and directing and encouraging sort of collaboration and sharing of knowledge and information and skills and other things? So, David, I don't know whether you've remembered the old adage in project management is that was said, uh, those that uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. And I think part of what the DTA is uh, able to do within the Commonwealth is uh, look at what that digital government strategy is to make sure that we've got um, supporting the capabilities within the APS to have, you know, a, a, a skilled, connected, digitalised APS that can actually deliver the best services internal to government but also external to government. Part of that for us uh, is investing in the right things. So one really key aspect of what the DTA is doing is the digital and ICT investment oversight framework. And that, that's about making sure that we um, have the strategy, that we prioritise against those strategies, that we understand how we're going to continue to use and reuse things that we've built well in the Commonwealth, how we make sure that when all the agencies across the Commonwealth that are delivering digital and ICT, that they're actually delivering what they say they're delivering through a really strong assurance process. And Another aspect that DTA can work really well across the Commonwealth is, is we support almost all of the agencies, except for defence, uh, in the delivery of most of the sourcing around digital and ICT. So as part of what we do in thinking about what uh, we need to implement, we can also work with the industry to see how industry can support the delivery of those things effectively through our digital and ICT sourcing. And then right at the end of the chain for us is when we look at what the impact of those digital transformations have been to citizens, to businesses, to APS staff in terms of how effective has that um, digital change been. And you have to, one thing I always like to point out to people, computers were invented in the 1950s. Government in, in modern phones has been going on for about four and a half thousand years. Um, so, you know, we've only been in the last few moments of government as far as that goes. Uh, and what what has actually happened in those transformations, really pushing forward to change the way people engage with government 
through digital channels uh, to way, the way that government is delivered through digital as well, um, all that's happened very rapidly. So you're going to have to expect that we're going to have to change position every now because the rate of change in digital is so high as well that we really have to start looking at um, how do we make sure that we're doing, still doing the right things, not because they were right yesterday, but because they'll be right for tomorrow. Hmm. Interesting you mentioned there the role of industry and how difficult it is that industry comes along and takes a lot of the talent out of the pool because it's more attractive, perhaps more money, other things. How, are those, how do those conversations go when you sort of say to them, hey, listen, do you mind if we just – we need to build more capability here? And how, how do you work better with industry to ensure that that capability that's essential – to underpin that strength in digital and data. Data science is exactly the same. How, what is that future going to look like? Because it can't go on. I wouldn't imagine that that the public sector can continue to lose such a vital capacity and people are trained up and gone and not delivering the benefit that the the community needs. So how how does that conversation take place so that we're not put in that situation? So I'm going to throw a spanner into the works uh, in that particular question and just say, um, I actually think it's a responsibility of government to create um, strong data and digital people that actually start in government but then go out into the broader community. I, I think government should be a development ground for digital capability and data talent. Uh, and there's certainly a lot going on uh, in different areas. So the, the APS has got the the digital professions, uh, or sorry, all the professions, data and digital professions. Uh, there's lots of work going on in the skills sector to attract people to data and digital. Uh, and, and again, I think there's plenty of opportunity for things like the DTA. One thing that we've got a really good opportunity in is that we see what new projects, what capabilities they're using in the digital space. So we do that in our planning sessions so we can understand when those things come to uh, realisation what skills we're going to need so we can prepare before they're needed to satisfy those needs. But um, if you look globally, digital and data skills are in short supply. And that's because the need for it touches almost everything. Uh, and the demand for those resources is so high uh, and governments playing a part in being a breeding ground for those things is absolutely essential to me. Okay. Yeah. Gail, your views? Well, uh, actually, my views are a bit... This, we've not spoken about this, but they're a bit similar. Uh, I'm conscious that, you know, you mentioned before I started work at the Reserve Bank and many people would go from the Reserve Bank into the financial sector and things may have changed, but at the time... I think the disposition was that, that that wasn't a bad thing because what it meant was that people that knew the financial system really well and had had really good training uh, were in the financial se sector making uh, the financial sector stronger. In fact, I, I was also a graduate who went to work in a government organisation when I left university as well and it set me in great stead. But you came back. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I think that's actually... Something well, that's, that the IPS really pushes, that, yeah. um, that it is a revolving door model that you can have within getting out into the private sector and coming back in with new skills and capabilities into the, into the public sector. Yeah, I think, that, I think there's a real opportunity there with those softer uh, boundaries, perhaps, where people can cycle through more often and not, uh, not be lost. 
I think so. And I'd add to that, you know, and I think Chris was touching on this too, part of our job is to make the public service or ensure the public service is a place to do good work uh, and is a place where you can enjoy doing your work and and so that we're attracting and retaining that talent. And for my part, you know, I've loved all the work I've done in the public service. You get great opportunities and opportunities that are not necessarily available in the private sector. So. Uh, so I think that's uh, one thing for us, uh, but I do also think there's a real place for collaboration and working with and drawing in the private sector so that we also learn from them. And earlier work I was doing on the Freight Data Hub uh, with the infrastructure department, we worked very well with the private sector there. They did some great work for us in terms of uh, building our website, doing some of the um, data uh, visualizations uh, and we learnt a lot from that and also we learnt a lot by their approach uh, uh, to their work more generally in terms of uh, project management, their use of digital tools themselves. So, so I think there's a lot to learn and I mentioned before the work we're doing on the data inventories. Uh, we uh, have contracted uh, two private sector firms to uh, support us to do that. So that's a, a partnership or a collaborative effort to provide those uh, services and capabilities to Australian government agencies. Now, listen, just to, um, quickly before we do wrap up, we, we do feature a question from the IPA Future Leaders Committee. And this question uh, to both of you comes from Anthony Pronan of the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry. And Anthony asks... How can data and digital strategies balance short-term needs with long-term outcomes and does prioritising one come at the cost of the other? Chris. Uh, really good question. Uh, I've always thought, again, you, you need to have a strategy to give yourself direction. Uh, and if I've learnt anything in the last decade of being involved heavily in digital is, is that... Um, there's a lot of emergent activities that uh, interfere with strategy and you have to be able to cope with both. So um, you know your strategy is still effective if directionally you're still going that way. Uh, but if your emerging priorities keep changing what's happening in your strategy, then you need to reset. So I think the balance point is, is that you need to show that you're making progress on strategy, on transformation. And, and I think Australia is actually very good. So if you look at us globally... We're always ranked in the top part of the sort of the, the, the second half of the pack, you know. So um, we're in the, uh, I think, the, the top five in UN in terms of digital government. Uh, and uh, we, we're an incredible adopter of technologies here. So uh, these things about making sure that we are not stuck in the day, because stuck in the day largely keeps us doing exactly what we are doing. And a lot about data and digital is disrupting what we're trying to do now. So your strategy needs to show what goals and objectives you need to achieve over a long period. And then your shorter term activities need to make sure that you're still keeping that in mind, but sort of progressing towards those uh, individual short term goals as well. Yeah, and I'd probably say the same thing. Uh, I'd say, you know, you've got to walk and chew gum at the same time. So, you know, have your plan. Uh, that's really important to have a sense of your broad strategy and sense of direction. But you you want uh, to 
take an incremental, you can think of it as incremental or agile approach where you're you know, taking steps along the way to realise those uh, longer-term vision or direct that are in step with that longer-term direction uh, and also being uh, ready to adapt so that you're, you know, reviewing uh, your progress. You're getting some wins on the board, uh, showing some progress, but reviewing how you're going so that you're ready to adapt with your actions if they're not working or, or, or something's changed in your broader environment where you need to change tack. Well, Gail and Chris, it's such an exciting time and such a busy time for both of you. Thank you so much for giving up some of your time today to join us here at uh, Work With Purpose. Thanks for coming along today. Thanks very much, Dave. Yeah, thanks so much and great to IPA to have these uh, uh, events. Thank you. Um, Work With Purpose is a part of the GovComs podcast network and we'd be both delighted and grateful if you could find the time to give us a nice rating or a review on your favourite podcast player because it does help the podcast to be discovered by others. And as Gail said, thanks again to the amazing team at IPA and also to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support uh, in finding great guests uh, like the ones that we have had on here today teaching us all about uh, and helping us to understand critical issues to the Australian public service. And also a big thanks to the team at Content Group for making all the technology and the production and promotion happen and work. My name is David Pembroke. A big thanks again to Gail and to Chris for coming on today. That's it for now. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.